we wrote is that um, at this company, when we take care of each other, everything else takes care of itself. And so to say that in a business that's about creativity, the, the most important thing wasn't creativity. And in a business that's often uh, also about a level of client service, it wasn't about the client. It was always about each other. And we found that the more uh, we encouraged everyone to just worry about the person to the left and the right of you, everything at the company got better. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 2% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team. Watch out. Hang on to your hat. I've got a fun one coming your way today with Chris Beresford-Hill, who is both the president and chief creative officer for Ogilvy. Yes, that Ogilvy in North America. Previously, he's also served in senior leadership roles in other organizations like TBWA Shiat Day and BBDO Worldwide. Really heavy hitter in the marketing world. Holy smokes. And he spent the last 20 years developing iconic and effective work for brands like Guinness, Mountain Dew, Adidas, McDonald's, Travelers, FedEx, HP, HBO, Foot Locker, Mars, and many others. A list is so darn long, we can't even get to it all. And he's also won hundreds of international creative awards, including 52 Lions at Cannes. Holy smokes, Chris, welcome to Lead the Team. Hey, Ben. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me today. So let's dig right into one of the experiences of your career that we all need to hear about. What happened when you lost the biggest account? of your advertising career? Boy, uh, uh, I, I guess uh, I, I guess it was, very, it was a very bad thing, but I suppose the reason why we're talking about it today is 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 what is what good things can come from from uh, mm. from bad right. things. So um, so it was around uh, 2018 and I was the chief creative officer at TBWA Shiat Day in New York. And and we lost our largest account, and I, I can say what it is, and and it, it's not even bad or vilifying. We lost the Accenture account, the Accenture um, uh, brand advertising, because Accenture had acquired an ad agency. So it would make a ton of sense that when Accenture buys an ad agency, that that ad mm. agency would do that. So that so so yeah. no nothing nothing too horrible in that, but 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 a horrible fact for us. And and um and so it, it, to be it, it might have mitigated the sting a little bit. Yes, uh, I'm going to win it back I, immediately. Um, that that would have been a good idea. I think I think we 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 often compete against that, that ad agency and pitches, and there's uh, always something a little personal for me in that one because mm. because because obviously uh, of the hurt. But um, you know, obviously, you know, whenever uh, whenever your largest account leaves, certainly at a at an advertising agency, um, it's it's tough, and and you you have to make some really some difficult, some tough decisions, and 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 even you know in this case, you know, part with some really great people. So it, so it so it it does manifest in in a in a tough and in a really serious way. And so um, as we were going through that, the I was part of a great leadership team, a great tight leadership team, and uh, 
you know, we we knew there were some new business pitches coming in. And of course, you know, you've got a little bit of shaky morale. You know, people are always in our industry are always working too hard anyway. Um, you 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 get something like a, a layoff uh, that happens, um, and then this perceived pressure to win business to replace the business that left. It's it's a tough time, you know, and and it's 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 hard to rally the troops. Um, so uh, in this case, when the when the pressure was on, um, you know, uh, all of us committed to to not mourn the past and to not be fearful of the future, and we were, we wanted to embolden our teams that were pitching this new business. Um, and an amazing thing happened. Um, and that is that um, people in the in the creative and in the business department started dealing, you know, with the the stress of of you know embarking on these giant pitches with even less people. Um, and instead of instead of kind of spinning out or instead of being negative or, or or any other way you might manifest your anxiety, people actually use that anxiety and that extra. Um, kick of adrenaline um to to actually support each other. And so what we found was happening was that um people were being asked a lot and 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 their way of dealing with it was checking with each other and seeing how each other was doing and how they could support and help each other. And um it was it was just a beautiful time and we won these three pitches in a row and we were able to you know scale back up and everything was fine but um but I think it was this incredible um, there, there was no leadership in this moment. Um, the leadership came after that moment, which, which is where um, it was the ability to observe something incredible happening in the in the organization and to capture it and to and to make that an important story we tell and something that we that we celebrate. So really, after that experience, um, we started thinking about what the what the values were uh, at the company, and we and we wrote a few things. But the most important thing we wrote is that um, at this company, when we take care of each other, everything else takes care of itself. And so to say that in a business that's about creativity, the the most important thing wasn't creativity. And in a business that's often uh, also about a level of client service, it wasn't about the client. It was always about each other. And we found that the more uh, we encouraged everyone to just worry about the person to the left and the right of you, everything at the company got better. So for me... Mm -hmm. It was the first time I, I sort of was able to see uh, a dynamic shift and understand that your role as a, as a leader is to see it and to capture it and to to make more of it and and uh, codify it and and promote it in every way you can inside the walls. Wow! So, thank you for sharing such a vulnerable moment in an organization where so many a lot of times leaders don't even get to stick around to react in those moments because when such a big change happens that just people start getting laid off or immediately, or they, everyone's, it seems like the, the, the default for so many people is to think about themselves, which is natural, I think, and start looking for other jobs. And it sounds like in that moment, there's something different happened where there, you, you turn inward to support each other and found a new level in the organization of care and focus. Um, what do you, if you look, looking back at that time, what was it something in place before that? Did, did the leadership really focus on making a cohesive team? Did it just kind of you just sort of get lucky that you hired great leaders and they were able to pull together? I mean, what do you what do you attribute it to? Good question. I mean, I think um, I think if I look back on it, I think perhaps uh, the company was primed for that moment because I think mm. um, 
I think it was about a year into a reinvention and a, and a year into um, success, perhaps that the that the company hadn't felt creatively or or in terms of you know the kind of work that that the mm-hmm. agency was doing. So so it was kind of an agency on the up. And then when you when you get a big setback like that, um, you know, obviously, I guess we had the benefit of people. Um, starting to see they were capable of more than they thought or or seeing you know teams um uh supported in ways they hadn't been before and and reaping the rewards of that with you know creating great work for our clients so i think so i think maybe that setback um you know came um as teams were starting to to hit their stride but instead of in that make or break moment going to a breakdown it, it went to a breakthrough and and you know clearly some you know some of the things that were happening inside those teams as they were learning to win and succeed together um, obviously went a little bit deeper. Um, so so maybe it really activated what really happens in teams when they start clicking, which is there is another level. Hmm. And so when you face a breakdown or a problem today, which, I mean, as president and chief career officer, I'm sure there's always problems emerging. What are you pulling from from that time? And what are you telling your team? Uh, to make sure that they're experiencing it as a breakthrough instead of a breakdown. Well, you know, I don't know if if something happens today. I think that was I think that was the moment. I perhaps more than maybe understanding how to deal with a crisis. I think that mm-hmm. was the first time. That was the first time I saw a narrative revealed to me as a leader. That was the first time I saw something at a at a macro and realized that, that to, to put that together, to, to distill that down and broadcast, it was going to be a powerful thing. Um, but I think um, in general, I think when faced with a, a crisis, obviously a level head is kind of everything. And um, for that personally, I kind of, uh, I can probably thank um, my, my, uh, my youth and the the fact that I was very um I was a below average student and I was a uh below average athlete and I was very uh short and small. So um so I really felt at an early age that I I was uh I was not I, I was very aware in middle school that I was not successful in the middle school world. I just didn't like I said mm. I couldn't I couldn't really throw a football um, and I was too shy to, to talk to the girls. So, um, at the time, uh, I certainly wished, um, that I had a little bit more confidence and, and that I, uh, but later I've realized that I, I think when you, when you're an underdog, um, and you're fortunate enough, uh, to achieve any success, um, you're very well served to feel like you're playing with house money. So, mm-hmm. um, I think, I think I was just happy to have a job writing ads and I think everything else on top of it is, is plus is gravy. So kind of on our worst day, I'm not really afraid of anything because I can always go back to writing newspaper ads. So that allows me the freedom to not freak out and to understand that I'm not, um, that if something bad happens at Ogilvy, um, I'm, I don't think about it in terms of my job or my life or my career. I think of it as uh, as part of the job is the challenge. So I'm able to sort of 
remove my own emotions from setbacks? That is a really long answer, Ben. I'm sorry. I was, I was working it out as I was hearing it. Well, a lot of layers to that response. First of all, I want to and I want to pull a couple of things out from the listeners to make sure they can catch this. What you just described is how you think about the problem. You're not telling us what you're doing to address it. How you the, the really place you're starting is how you're thinking about it. So an underdog mentality. You're playing with house money, meaning that hey, you know what? If I did, you know, if we did, if we worked like hell to respond effectively and it didn't work out, um, I'd be okay. Um, and I, you know, you've got skills that you developed along and along that that you can fall back on. And that allows you, I think, instead of panicking in those moments, you're focusing on the moment on what you can contribute and being a success. And I think the leaders you know, that find themselves in losing their biggest account, they do maybe start immediately looking for other jobs, thinking about contingency plans versus, hey, if I need to deal with that contingency, I'll be okay. Let me be present. Let me be focused uh, in that. Now, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, so you faced what a lot of people faced in their childhood, which is middle school, <laughs> which is a challenge. <laughs> My daughter's in middle school right now. Oh Lord. Um, if you're looking back at that, what helped you who, what, or who helped you develop that underdog sort of mentality? And, and, I, and you, you didn't say perseverance, but, but it sounds a lot like that. Was it, who, who was it? Or, or, or how did you discover that? Was it a, a coach, a parent, a friend? A book, a Rocky. Well, I, I can I can tell you exactly why I'm a creative person. I'm a creative person because I was shy, and so I kept to myself. So obviously, in my own thoughts, I was inventing. Uh, you know, I was inventing yeah. the, the the escapes in the in the worlds I was inhabiting. Um, and the other reason why I'm a creative person is because my parents were uh, blindly supportive, and I know they're blindly supportive because they're moving house right now. And my mother opened a box of of all this artwork, and I remember she always made a very big deal about me being, you know, a very talented uh, artist. And I felt, uh, I felt so I felt I was special and unique in that way. And I looked in that box, mm. and uh, I can tell you, Ben, uh, that work was garbage. I mean, that is some terrible. <laughs> but so I think, so I think on one uh. hand, you know, mm. just like any creativity, you've you know, you can't look at the first pass and go, it's all screwed. You've got to mm. nurture it. You know, it only comes after you've, you've supported and you, and, and you've believed a little bit, you can't expect the first round of anything to be, to be the best version of it or what it needs to be in the end. So, so my parents allowed me to believe I was creative and that allowed me to become creative. And then I think also perhaps being a little shy and a little introverted, um, you know, maybe when some other kids were in the moment, I, I suppose I wasn't. So it allowed me to sort of observe and see how people worked. Um, so, so that, you know, kind of, kind of made me perhaps the creative person that I am, but that I think as the, um, but, but also I think, um, you know, so, so it sounds like it allow you to, to develop that self-belief at a young age, because if someone's critiquing your work when you're doing it initially, they haven't developed that perspective that hey this is the process of creative of creative work the first draft is not great but you're not no one's telling you as a kid <laughs> you know well, explaining sure. that process and so the, by by having nurturing supporting parents i think that makes a lot of sense and i think you know and i think it mm -hmm. whatever it teaches you i suppose you you know that 
that's like a one-on-one to a creative environment is making it is making it feel like a safe place and making and having it be affirmative um but the other thing i i could say is that um um and then we should definitely get out of middle school because we don't have that much time and i could probably spend a couple hours talking about middle school i, I do but, think it's helpful for people to understand and parents to understand we have a lot of leaders who are parents myself included and i think it's helpful for us to recognize that well, you know, the other thing is I'm I'm very interested in the um in the New England Patriots. And I'm not a huge football fan and I'm not even a huge Tom Brady fan, but for some reason I read all the books about Belichick and about, you know, the 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 that dynasty. I'm just I'm interested in what what that group of people did together. And, you know, you read about, you know, Brady and Belichick, and they are, you know, for them, um uh not winning is a mm-hmm. bigger deal than winning, you, you know? And I actually don't relate to that at all. That's why I'm so fascinated by it. My secret power is that I have lost and I have been uh, a total loser before. So how can you be afraid of anything? You know, so I'm not afraid of losing. And I think that's what middle school gave me. So uh, winning is amazing. And if we can all come together and do something and improve something and make something great, that's good. And I'm not afraid of it not succeeding. Mm -hmm. I have... I, I I was built on lots of not success, so that might be the the that might be probably it's the, the anti Bill Belichick. It's the anti Patriot right. strategy for success. No, I know, I know, and, and oh, it kind of makes me great. sad because you know I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't be bad to see a little bit of yourself and Tom Brady, but I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Wait, no, I, no, no. Wait, I'm not Tom Brady, and actually, I don't. Have, I'm not playing for the Super Bowl. Well, although you've won 52 can, uh, Lions awards at Cannes, that's not not a bad. Winning, winning streak. We've done, we've done good Super Bowl ads. We've been at the top of the ranks for Super Bowl ads. So I feel like our, our advertising team has competed and won. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. All right, so let's let's go down this creativity uh, rabbit hole. So, advice for leaders who need to be creative in a moment uh, of, of crisis. Well, um, you know, I think uh, I think there's a million definitions of creativity, and for me, the one that helps the most, the one that's 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 very practical to how advertising works, um, but I think also takes a little bit of the the mystery and the magic way of it is that creativity is simply finding another way. Um, you know, our breakfast cereal, uh, has, you know, is, is, uh, you know, has, you know, 10 grams of protein in it. Okay. Say, show me another way to say that. Okay. That's still boring. Show me another way. And you keep finding another way until Mm. it feels original, until it feels novel, until it feels fresh. And by the way, when we're all doing ads about uh, 10 grams of protein in cereal, you've got to find even a further, another way, another way, another, until you kind of keep finding the edge. Um, to me, it really is that simple because if the first funny commercial probably had a very obvious joke and the jokes have had to get a little bit less obvious because so much has been done that we're, we're kind of just c- continuing to find the next ring. And so, you know, really in any kind of a moment of crisis, if, mm. if you've got something to get through, um, what's another way to get where we need to get? What's another way to, to, to make the end of the month? What's another way to protect a job? It really 
creativity is problem solving. And, and sometimes we do a disservice of, of, uh, of saying it's for these, you know, crazy divergent minds, but it, everybody can, can, you know, should be, you know, um, should be acting creatively every day. It reminds me of headline writing. Uh, and when I learned this and I came to it a lot later than you, uh, where I was blogging and now, you know, we're, we're, we're podcasting off a lot in videos and I will, I was trying to think of headlines and my team were thinking, we're thinking of headlines that would be interesting and catchy, but a, a coach of mine was like, Ben, um, you need to write those down. He's like, why don't you write down 10, then to write down 10 more and then 10 more and then 10 more. And then by the time we hit like 51, we actually had, you know, something that I was like, man, okay, that makes a lot of sense. There's a process of finding another way. And I think, I think all leaders can for themselves and for their team, I really like you said about finding another way and to find a tactical process that you can use with your team to help them find another way, you know, um, and, and having something. Is there a go-to strategy when you're trying to find another way and you're like, you know what, this cereal thing is just not working for 10 grams of protein. I mean, we can't say that again. What's your, what's your sort of default way to. Oh boy, there's a million. I mean, uh, well, that, that's, everyone has a different one. I mean, I think you, um, we all kind of find a moment where we, where we hit a wall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some people benefit from going and talking to someone else. Um, I also think, um, the secret to, to, to not only creative ideas that, that, that I've seen make it out into the world, but also ideas about what, to, what to do in the company mm-hmm. is, um, it is that, uh, is that we, you don't have a good idea, a bad idea will do for conversation and you shouldn't be afraid to throw out something awful because, mm-hmm. um, many, a great idea has come from someone saying something that's, that's clearly wrong. And someone says something off of that and someone says something off of that. You know, I mean, the, I can't tell you, again, there's a lot of lessons you can learn from the creative process, but I can't tell you the number of times when you're in a room and there's a wall full of a few living ideas and there's a bunch of paper on the floor that in that moment of quiet where someone's staring at the floor, something comes from the floor back to the very top of the pile. So, uh, so oftentimes, I suppose people hold out for the best answer. And I think what you've got to do is maybe throw out an answer and respond to it. And in those responses, you're going to find something. Man, I'm sure I'm glad you said that, Chris, because leaders screw this up for their teams, especially leaders early in their career where they're wanting the perfect answer or they respond to someone's quote, bad idea in a way that it shuts down all future idea contribution. And then they wonder why they're not getting the best ideas. And I think, I think you're touching on something there. You've got to encourage someone to be the starter, to get the bad idea out, even encourage bad ideas to get the ball rolling. Because if you clamp down on that and you send the wrong message too early, it's, I think it's hard to get it back uh, from your team. Now, it's interesting looking at your background because you have this and you watch through middle school <laughs> to, you know, in uh, your creativity and you're still you know, chief creative officer over at Ogilvy, but you're now you're president. So to me, I, I see someone who's balancing the MBAs, the 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 business people, uh, you know the the finances too, with the creative process, and a lot of times, at least from my perspective, and I'm curious to hear your perspective, those two are like oil and vinegar, right? 
They want bottom line results. They want cash flow. And creativity needs space. It needs a dose of bad ideas and time. What are you what are you doing right now to sort of bring those worlds together? Well, the the two hats of it actually actually work pretty well because um because I think through the creative hat, I think per- perhaps um the thesis can be proven. But at Ogilvy, really the business plan is better ideas for our clients. And the belief is that um, through the quality of the product and obviously the 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 well the the kind of the machine that that team for that client becomes, uh, the quality of what's delivered is going to attract new clients, is going to inspire our clients uh, to pay us more money for what we do, and they're going to ask us for more. Um, so I think you know thinking about it from the the perspective of what we make is much more helpful. Then you know, then kind of going to to all the other nooks and crannies, and I and I and I also you know I knowingly oversimplify. Um, the other the other nice thing, and I'll come clean on your podcast about it, is the way we're structured is that we've got multiple locations in North America, and each one does have a business lead. So thankfully, uh, my role as president can be um, a creative person that is that is allowed that seat at the table when it comes to where we're moving people, what we're doing, what we're going to not do, how we're going to treat things. Um, but I've got um, a lot of great partners that um, that uh, keep me from embarrassing myself uh, because they're so good at what they do that we can have simple conversations about it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what do you say in those moments where the rubber meets the road and there's a bottom line impact and you know the works, you know, you let's just say, you know you need more time. You need more time. You need additional finances uh, to make the creative impact that you aspire to. But the bottom line calls. So, what? How are you thinking through that? Because I think a lot of leaders, no matter where they are in their career, they're going to face something like this, whether it's finance and marketing, or whether it's whether it's HR uh, and and finance, or you know it operations in, in HR, like th- th- this collision of two sides of the business happens. And I think a lot of times people's success in their career and the very impact they can possibly make comes down to how well they handle these moments. So what's your, what's your take on that? Well, I think, you, I mean, I think you said something magical in the question, which is, you know, I mean, when, when you're in the position where you know anything, um, it should be pretty easy to act. So if you need more time, if you need more money, um, then I suppose it comes down to the conviction to being will to be willing to make that bet and mm-hmm. bet that more time or more money is going to give you the thing that's gonna that's gonna drive the future of the business and 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 is gonna drive success. So I think anytime I feel like I know anything, I think I think that's the easiest. Um, but then the other trickier parts are when you, when you, when you do feel like you've got to make a bet on something. And then in every case, um, it helps to be consistent. And so I'll always bet on better, what's going to give us better work. And, and it's much easier to have a conversation with a client about something shifting about an additional need for scope, about an additional need for time. When that conversation is around giving them something better, uh, something that's going to drive a bigger impact market. It's so much easier to have that conversation. when it's about the results and when it's about the output. Nice. Nice. You said the word conviction. 
when you, where do you like, what's your process or how do you think about going from, Hmm, that's a good idea to I'm convicted. That's a good idea. Well, um, okay, Ben, this, this is getting very fun. I'm so glad we got out of middle school because, um, we can always go I, back to that later. No, I, but I didn't, I didn't know I was going to be having this conversation. And, and so, so I, I suppose I'm figuring it out as I go, but I think actually this is a, this is a podcast about talking about leadership. And for me, um, I think that's, you know, the ability, um, to have the courage to, to know when to say go. I mean, I think in my time I've, I've worked for, uh, leaders that, that were decisive and I've worked with leaders that waffled or that delayed. And at the end of the day, I always had more respect for the decisive leaders, even if sometimes they were right and sometimes they were wrong. So mm-hmm. I think there's a willingness, uh, um, if it, you know, if you have a willingness to make the call, um, I think action is always better than inaction. So, uh, so I have that, I have that bias towards, towards, you know, hearing enough, seeing enough, and then saying, no, this is the one let's go with this idea. And at the end of the day, you know, uh, like I said, that can be a business decision, or if I I constantly bring things back to creativity, there's five scripts, the client says, which one should we make? I mean, there's not a science to that. And you don't want to believe in consumer testing for all that either, because even sometimes the consumers don't know what they're going to really love. So mm-hmm, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, you got to trust yourself and actually understand that you're in this fortunate, lucky position where you get to make that decision and, um, and own it. Wow. Great advice on how to become a more decisive leader. So you're also, uh, big on being unafraid to lead with emotion rather than pure logic and operations. That probably sends chills down the spine of many leaders, especially if they're in finance or operations. What do you say to yeah. leaders that that sends a shiver or a chill? I would, you know what? I, I wouldn't to them. I might say you got this because <clears throat> I think if, if you're on the other end of the spectrum um, I admire uh, when I listen to Ben, when I listen to your podcast, I mentioned to you earlier, you know, the, some, some of these, I said, you know, there's, it sounds like you're talking to all MBAs. I think if you're able to speak with clarity and conviction on what should be done in a moment and based on this, and when this happens, you do that. Um, then I'm, then I'm in awe. I mm-hmm. think what I figured out about myself is I probably have a higher emotional intelligence than a academic intelligence. So I've looked at some business books and I've, and I've thought, God, I don't think I could ever master this. I don't think I could ever put all this in, synthesize it all and know what to do. Um, and so when in doubt, um, you know, you know, do what you know is right and go with your gut and, and go with your feel, you know, and, and, um, and it's very interesting because my wife is, is in business too. And she's, an incredible intellect. So actually what I think what I'm talking about is just a, it's a, it's for someone, but it's not for everyone. Mm. Um, because Mm -hmm. my wife is very, her kind of flow of logic is so impressive to me, but I can't, I can't almost, I can't almost line it up the way she does. And so I, I do sometimes lead a big conversation with an important person. And and I start it with, I'm feeling like blank. And I think you Mm. you may speak, you may speak to a lot of people that would tell you, don't ever do that. This is about business. This is about that. This is about results. Don't ever go in with your feelings. Um, but for, for me, 
when I've tried to go in smarter than, than um, more emotional, um, I guess it's inauthentic to me. And so it doesn't really track, but I can, but I, I've seldom started a conversation with how I'm feeling and had it uh, blow up in my face, but I've certainly tried to show up smart and it's blown up in my face. So, uh, so there's, there's that. Yeah, there, there's real authenticity with, with how you answered that. And it sounds like you're really playing to your strengths in terms of how you lead. So the feeling side or the emotional side or Myers-Briggs, it would be the E or the F. I think it's F. I can't remember exactly. No, it is. Yes, it, it would be the F. I don't know if you've taken that before, the Myers-Briggs right. assessment. But anyway, there it talks about, it sort of adds this level of self-awareness. And it sounds like that's what you're layering on there. From a self-awareness standpoint, um, do you work with a coach? Do you, do you have a reflection process? What are you doing to discover uh, the sort of the natural strengths to your to your leadership? Well, I mean, I think the I think kind of being comfortable showing up authentically was was trial and error. Like I said, I think I I probably I probably yeah. tried to organize my thoughts too much in advance, and I and I and it didn't feel right. And I think if you if you're on the whatever uh, uh, side of the Myers, I've never done the Myers Briggs, but if you're on the side I presume I'm on, then the reality is I probably have more of a mastery of how I'm feeling about mm -hmm. things than I am about the ability to break it down and talk about it in those components. So I do think as, you know, you know, whatever language you're most comfortable in or whatever you're most fluent in, you should try to speak it. But I think this is a, a key success pattern that shows up a lot in our interviews where inter you know, different senior executives have different ways to do it, but they almost always have a way to do it. Some use a coach because they verbally process and they want to have that sounding board and that having that listener makes a lot of sense. Um, some people, I mean, I, I do a lot of different ways myself. I'll even, I'll even have my smartphone or my iPhone and I'll be speaking into my phone knowing that no one's going to listen to that audio necessarily, but me, but it feels like I'm talking to someone else. That's one of the reasons podcasting works so well, but for me, because I get to talk about your ideas and I get to process them a little bit. So, so they stick with me a little bit more effectively, but to have a way to do that. But it also, it probably reveals a little bit about, about what your strength is as a communicator. Mm -hmm. um, because for me, if, if you were to ask me to, to do a, a five minute presentation to your audience, um, I would freak out and I would have no idea where to start. And I have no, I mean, it's so hard so hard for me to um it's like bleeding a stone but i feel like we could talk about something and and if we wanted to circle back and it sounds like you're you like me you like to talk things out we could probably come back and be like oh there's three themes in here but uh but but i can't i can't i can't have that without you know kind of talking it out with myself a little bit i yeah, can't just start with the crystals yeah a great 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 way to think about that for leaders so it's there's one level of this conversation taking place right now where we're talking about processing your own ideas and where your ideas come from and, and your own creativity and what your process for reflection is going to be. So we all need to have that self-discovery. But the second thing is we have these teams and we want them to have great ideas. You want them to develop in their career. So help them discover the way that they can be most effective in thinking through challenges. And a lot of people, is me included, growing up, middle school, even later, 
still didn't really realize that there's more than one way to approach this in, in, a, in a different process. And part of the journey, I think, that really helps so many leaders is to get on the discovery journey for the way things work best for them. Wow, but, Chris. So, man, this this has been so good. What, I mean, we've covered so many things here. What What is your parting thought for our listeners today? Okay, parting thought. I got to pause for a, a second. Five-minute presentation. On, I'm <laughs> sure. But yeah, so let's, let's I mean, man, man we covered so many things around creativity, around problem solving, that, that initial moment going from breakdown to breakthrough and helping your team go through that. The anti-Bill Belichick method <laughs> for success. I mean, it just it covers a lot of great ideas here. Um, well, how about this? I mean, the one... Uh, the, the, the one thing that I just continue to believe more and more, and, 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 uh, obviously as all the leaders out there know, it's, you don't, you don't, you, you want to believe some things, but you can't have too many fixed beliefs. You got to, you've got to be more listening than talking. But, um, I think hmm. philosophically in business, people talk about betting on better, um, you know, betting on the, the better idea, betting on the, the, the better talent, um, you know, uh, but I think sometimes, um, right at that moment of decision, uh, you do see a lot of faltering. You do see a lot of, um, leaders who might want to play it safe, not, not disrupt the mm -hmm. status quo. You'll talk about it, but, but when you get up mm -hmm. to the ledge, there's a, a real moment of, of, you know, pursuing a scary idea that you believe is better. Um, all I can say is uh, I hope everybody, um, takes that leap because, I've just never seen uh, it not work out when you bet on a, on something that's better. Um, and yet it seems so hard to do. So mm -hmm. if you think something is better, an idea, a person you're considering bringing on your team, um, don't be afraid of how good it can be. Um, and don't be afraid about what will happen if you upset your status quo, because it's, it's uh better is always better. Well, great place to wind up today. Chris, thanks for coming on lead the team. Thanks so much, Ben. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.